And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? God answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. Let's begin by praying. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the great privilege and honor to bow before you this morning. And our prayer is this, that we will behold you that we will behold you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, once again, welcome to you. If you're visiting Canterbury Gardens Community Church, it's a privilege to have you here with us, uh, particularly if you're uh, someone who's come along, and we say this most Sundays, if you're someone who's a bit of a skeptic, maybe you're exploring the Christian faith, or maybe it's been a long time you've been to a church service, we pray, and our biggest prayer always is that you will encounter and know this Jesus that we love very much at this church. And we as a church began a series. If you haven't picked it up there, that was going through the Gospel of John. We've just started that. We've been exploring this true life account put together by one of Jesus' followers. A follower that was very close to Jesus. His name was John. And John's deepest desire as he wrote this Gospel was this. That we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That by believing in him, may we have life in his name. Now that's what his desire was for the church that he was writing to, as he wrote to Jews and Gentiles, and particularly in a place called Ephesus, and then also for us in 2019, today, here in Kilsyth. That's the same desire for you and I. We've been exploring and hearing, and I'm not sure about you, but I know for me, as I've been thinking and pondering on verses that are so familiar to all of us, particularly if you've grown up in the Christian circles, we've been confronted 
this wonderful, beautiful picture of who Jesus is. The one who has always been. The one who is described as the Word. The one who says and life begins. The one that we explored as being the light. And then last week, the one who became flesh. He comes into this world and enters this world who's crying out and desiring and longing for his saviors. And he has made himself known. And like I said, friends, as I prayed this morning, my biggest desire for you and I is this. That we will behold the Lamb of God this morning. The foundation has been set for us over the last few weeks. And we're coming up to this section here. And before we actually even meet Jesus, as in in his story in the rest of the Gospel of John, we meet one of his cousins. His cousin is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, particularly if you've grown up in Christian circles, is very famous. He's well known. And his role has actually been determined before he was even born. You can actually read about this in the other Gospels particularly in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark. It's written there. But due to time, this is what John is there for. He's come into this world, John the Baptist, to testify about the Messiah that is to come. Now, John the Baptist has a unique mission, a unique call. And the Apostle John, who's writing this account, is showing that. But here's the thing. He is convinced of one thing, and he's recording these significant moments, not just for the people there, but also for us. And the passages that we have in front of us, there's going to be a couple of things we might consider. Firstly, he wants to reveal to us, in a sense, two identities. First, he wants to reveal who this John the Baptist is, and his role, what's his purpose. And then secondly, beholding the Lamb of God. The Apostle John records this. John the Baptist is an eyewitness, is revealing who this Jesus is. Now before we discover that, we want to explore who this John the Baptist is. So in verses 19 and 28, we have these words that are unpacked for us as Nathan read to us. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a live concert. Uh, I love going to when I'm able to, and it's been a long time, go to a live concert. When I mean a live concert, I'm not talking about like an electronic music uh, dance uh, kind of concert. I'm talking about where there's live instruments, you know, like guitars and drums and those kind of things. And when you head there, one of my favorite people, before the, the main act comes, is not the supporting act, it's the sound check guy. Have you seen them? The sound check guy usually comes out and, and they usually can only count to one and two for some reason. Uh, and if they're really, really hardcore, they'll, they'll go up and pick up the instruments and they'll you know, do a little bit of a tune and it's this moment. Now imagine for a moment if you go there to this concert and you have paid lots of money to see whatever your favorite artist is. In that moment you go, wow, look at this sound check person. I'm glad I paid a lot of money to see this person. My guess is most of us will go, what, what are they doing? You mightn't take notice, but at the same time, you might not at all. Because why are you there? You're there for the main act. The main person, the main musician. John the Baptist, as he's doing ministry, most probably from most accounts, his fame is spreading. There's a lot of people going to the wilderness to be baptized, to hear the message of this person. 
And his ministry has caused quite a bit of a stir to the point, verse 19, it says, when the Jews send priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him this question, who are you? Now, he gets a bit of a visit from a group of people. The group of people are not heading down to uh, kind of hear about this amazing conference that's going out in the wilderness, about this great, amazing speaker doing this amazing stuff of baptism. We should go check it out and, and learn from it. It's not like an evangelistic sort of outreach event that they're checking out. Rather, they're more in doing some investigation. At the heart of it, this group of people that are investigating, they're a bit sus about this guy called John the Baptist. So that's why they ask, who are you? Another way to check out is to say, hey, is this guy the real deal? And there's a reason for that. And we hear what their real question is and the way that John interacts with them. See, in that time, as we read this, it's easy for us, particularly if you've grown up in the Christian culture and you read these kind of stories, to kind of just glaze your eyes and go, yeah, what's the big deal? So in that moment, John the Baptist was doing a significant ministry. He's out in the wilderness. There's lots of things going on historically in that time. The nation of Israel is under occupation by the Roman Empire. It's not a good time for them. And then they hear about this person out in the wilderness baptizing people. He's calling people to return back to Yahweh, the God of Israel. It's kind of like this prophet prophets that they've read about, prophets that they've heard about. Not only that, this guy sort of dresses like a prophet. And you can read about it. He had this sort of this weird paleo diet, maybe, with eating crickets and honey. Uh, probably not, by the way. But the idea is to give this imagery that there's this prophet out there dressing, and he's got this vow that he's committed to. It stirs something in the minds and hearts of the religious leaders of the time, and they say, send these people to investigate. And in many ways, the moment is ripe. The, the nation is under occupation. They are wanting deliverance from a king. In a sense, they're waiting for this Messiah. So they head out into this desert to meet this wild man. And although the question is not there, maybe they're considering this is potentially a Messiah-type figure. And we know that by the way John assumes what they're thinking, I say. And he responds to them. See, for John, he knows it's very clear. He's there to bear witness. And with powerful voice, it's as though they're thinking about it, John engages with them and says, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. Nope, that's not me. So, they drill him further. They have a bit of a questioning session with him. So they ask, well, are you Elijah? And this is not talking about reincarnation kind of idea here at all. What it's talking about is, look, John, you look like a prophet of the Old Testament. Not only that, uh, we know our scriptures because they are priests and Levites that have turned up. You sound like an old prophet uh, and you also sound like this Elijah character they've been waiting for. Some people argue the case that uh, in the very last book of the Old Testament, there's this verse in chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. 
So maybe these people are thinking, hey, you sound like this Elijah that we've been waiting for before the Lord comes, before the great day of the Lord. So they ask him, are you Elijah? You look like him too. And not only that, you sound like him because you're preaching repentance. And John's answer is, nope, that's not me. So, okay, all right, fine. You're not Elijah, okay? Well, are you, and in your translation, probably you'll see the words, the prophet in capitals. They're making a statement. They're asking, are you like the prophet that we know of, the great Moses who spoke of the very words of God, one day they would come, a great the prophet, to usher in the kingdom of God. Are you that person? John responds again, no, not me. I wonder if they're getting a bit frustrated by now, out in the wilderness, maybe it's a bit hot like today. And they're thinking to themselves, okay, listen, buddy, we've been sent on a mission here. We can't go back with no answer. We need to know, who are you? And so they say, what do you say about yourself? And to me, this is probably one of the significant things that's really caught my heart this week. Here is John. He responds in a way that is quite striking. And I think in many ways he shows the heart of a man like Don the Baptist. In the very essence of it, I think he is being revealed to him what his role is. Using modern-day language, his identity. He says in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Remember, these are Levites and religious leaders, most probably talking and engaging with John. So when he quotes some of this Old Testament passage, Straight away, they would know what he's, what he's talking about. John the Baptist uses verses from the Old Testament that would have been very familiar to those Jewish religious leaders. He quotes one of the most revered prophets of theirs, the prophet Isaiah. And in your Bibles, if you have a physical Bible, there'll be a little verse where you can flip back to where you need to go to. But in the history of the time, when that verses were declared, when those verses were said... Israel as a nation, God has judged them and sent them back and rescued them out of exile and he's sending them back. And the prophet is proclaiming that God provides a way. He makes the valleys and the hills straight. And the people of God return from exile. But as you continue to read those sections, you see this, there's this other picture that's coming through. A greater picture of a greater rescue. Of one that is going to come. And to usher in, there's this prophet that will declare, I'm the one, the voice, one calling in the desert. So John quotes those verses and says, that's who I am, I'm that voice. Saying, make straight the way for the Lord. It's a message of preparation, and that's what his ministry is. It's preparing. In other words, he knows his purpose. He knows that he's not the Messiah. Neither is the prophet, neither is he Elijah. Using the verses in that he's just a voice announcing the coming of the Messiah. It's very dramatic. So, those who are investigating, quite not happy about John's response. They ask him, okay, fine. If you're not Christ, nor are you Elijah, nor are you the prophet... In verse 25, they ask the question, then why are you baptizing? Why are you doing this? 
for using Aussie terms, one way of saying it is, who gave you the right to do that? Who do you think you are? If you're just a voice calling out in the wilderness, who gives you the right to do exactly what you're doing? Now, notice what John does in the verses, right? If you picked it up in verses 26 to 27, he doesn't necessarily answer them directly. In many ways, he actually points them away from himself. He declares as someone greater than him. And John says, I baptize with water in verse 26, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And to understand this statement, I I found this very confronting this week. Because I was thinking about John the Baptist as a person. Here is John the Baptist. He could have easily turned around and said, "Uh, you're asking and questioning my authority. Well, I just told you. I'm that voice. The prophet Isaiah speaks of me. He could have turned around and said, oh, well, guys, you probably don't know who I am. I'm John the Baptist. I'm the son of a priest. Actually, on my birth, uh, just in case you didn't know the story, you can read it in places like the Gospel of Matthew for those of us here. Uh, you know, my, there was an angel that came. His name was Gabriel. He told my parents about me and the purpose of why I'm here. Rather, he could have easily done this. He could have easily turned around and said, oh, this is who I am. He could have, in a, using modern day language, he could have pulled out his CV of ministry background and ministry training and said, this is the kind of authority that I have. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is what I, why I'm doing. Have you been here? Have you seen my YouTube videos? Have you seen my Facebook Live baptism scenes? He doesn't talk about those things. These authorities are questioning his validity. Because baptism in that day and age was nothing new, right? It wasn't some sort of weird thing that all of a sudden John the Baptist came up with. No, it was always there. It was part of that culture. It was part of God's commands. But often it was a relation to someone who's not of Jewish background converting into Judaism. And a symbolism of that was this idea of baptism. But not only that, it was a part of the daily ritual. I mean, you can look it up and you can study some of the history of that time. There were baptismal pools around. People would go. It was a way of showing, I'm cleansing myself. But not only that, the person who was baptizing, they would baptize themselves. That was part of the ritual. But here is John doing something interesting. He's baptizing people. And I think he's foreshadowing something in that he's calling people to respond to this message, to repent. It's a cleansing. It's a reflection of something going on inside a person's heart. And inside of them, they're turning away from sin. And what this is doing is it's pointing towards forward. It's pointing forward. It's calling people back to God. This is the whole symbolism here. And so he's asked, under whose authority are you doing this? He could have easily turned and I said all those things. Rather, he addresses the heart of the issue. In a sense, he's like saying, hey guys, you think this baptism is amazing that I'm baptizing people in water? You've come all the way to the wilderness to ask these questions? Well, I have news for you. There is someone coming. Actually, he's already here. Not only that, you don't know who he is 
And guess what? I only baptized with water. Oh man, but this one? This one. I am not even worthy to go down on my knees and untie the laces on his sandals. See, John is making a pretty strike statement. Because in those days and ages, that if you were a disciple and you had a teacher and you were following them, the rabbi would tell you to do something, you do it. There's one thing that you weren't able to do, one thing you don't do, because it's unclean. It was set aside for a slave to do. And John is saying, hey, you know what? I'm not even worthy to do the lowest thing right there. I'm not even worthy to do that. And later on, we'll see how John unpacks this for us. See, John is making a greater statement, a statement I think you and I can learn a lot from in 2019. Uh, a few, about, maybe about a week ago, maybe no, long, shorter than that, three or four days ago, my son comes up to me, my oldest, and says, Hey, Dad, guess what? This is what we did in drama. He loves drama. It's one of his favorite subjects. He turns around and says, Hey, guess what? Check this out. This is a song I've learned. You held me down, but I got up. Hey, already brushing off the dust. You hear my voice, you hear the sound. Like thunder, go and shake the ground. You held me down, but I got up. Get ready, because I had enough. I see it all, I see it now. I got the eye of the tiger. A fighter, dancing through the fire. Because I'm a champion. You're going to hear me roar louder, louder than a lion. Because I'm a champion. You're going to hear me roar famous song you probably have heard it on radio by Katy Perry and if you can imagine three kids singing that in the back of the car as we're driving please pray for us now my son I asked him what's this song about and he's like I don't really know I said does this girl want to become a lion or a tiger no I don't know dad I just sing it but the heart of it friends it really speaks constantly to you and I, this kind of message. The world that we live in constantly says, you are somebody. You're a champion. You can conquer the world. Or using other language, who are you? What defines you? What title do you have? What's your CV? What authority do you have? Are you someone at all? You're constantly, and I'm constantly, whether in Christian world or secular world, being preached to us that you need to show that you're someone. As a parent, as a student, as a worker in your retiree season, whatever season you are, asking and constantly pushing, who are you? Here in this moment, John the Baptist shows something that we can all learn from. What I'm here is not to tell you that we need to be like John the Baptist in the sense we're John the Baptist. We're not. Unless someone's had the Gabriel angel, angel of Gabriel come and announce your birth or something. And if that's true, come and chat to one of the pastors. We'd love to chat to you about that. I'm talking about the posture. The posture of John the Baptist. Particularly for those of us who are called to be followers of Jesus. Those of us who claim to be followers of Viz. We need to understand we need to be far less concerned about our titles and who we are in that sense and growing in the posture like John the Baptist. Hey, actually, I'm nobody. 
Actually, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. And friends, if you do not know this Jesus, you may think in your heart, whatever your title you're attaining for, whatever sort of um, uh, goal you have to fulfill you that will somehow signify you, whether that's a job title, relational status, whatever authority and power that you're kind of clamoring for that will give you a sense of significance. My friend, I'm just telling you this morning, until you realize true significance is not in who you are or do, rather than who you're not. You're not your own savior. You're in need of one. I'm in need of one. To understand this further, we need to look to the one who is Jesus. The one who, in a sense, shows true humility. It's only by gazing on him, the one who perfectly displays beautifully humility, do we know that's what our life is about. And friends, if, if you don't know this Jesus, we would encourage you to discover that with us. And, and whether if you're someone who does know Jesus, to discover Jesus, it begins with a starting point. And that starting point is to remember who you're not, who I'm not. By beholding, by gazing, by looking, by grabbing and beholding the one we are always, till our final breath, are called to look at. In verse 29, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I am baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and remained on him. I myself do not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Hey, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John says very loudly and clearly, Look, surprise, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's here. The one who has always existed. The one who is actually greater than I am. My role, John is saying, is to prepare the way. I baptize with water. I'm here to prepare the people for his coming. To reveal him to you. And do you know how John knows that this is the Lamb of God? He has a moment as he's done the baptism of Jesus. He's witnessing something. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And the language here is not saying somehow Jesus got the Holy Spirit. No, it's implying that Jesus has always possessed the Spirit of God because he is God. And because he does, he will dispense or he will release the Spirit to others who give their lives to him. John is saying, I baptized with water. But this Jesus, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I'm a witness. And you've already heard Nath talk about this over a few weeks. This word witness is constantly there. And if you want to do something fun with your journal, go through the whole Gospel of John and circle, underline this word. He's a witness that this 
is the Son of God. Friends, we began this series talking about Jesus being the Word, this powerful imagery of who gives life, Jesus being the light, Jesus being the God-man. And then we have this unveiling purpose. It's like a beautiful grand story as the Apostle John writes, This is the purpose why Jesus came. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you are in Christian circles, you read those kind of statements and go, oh yeah, the Lamb of God, yep. Now I want you to imagine for a moment, put yourself in, the, in the, those people who are waiting for a Messiah. They're waiting for a king-like figure to rescue them from the oppression of the Roman soldiers. And you know, here is John. Maybe they would have expected him to say, hey, look, the Son of God. Look, the Messiah. Look, the King. Rather, he uses words that would have been quite confronting. Here is the Lamb of God. And if you and I use terms of lamb, uh, particularly my season of life, this is what I think of a lamb. Right? A cute little cuddly thing. You put it in a microwave to warm up, to keep the kids warm. It's kind of surreal in that moment, but anyway. Um, or if you're Australian, or Kiwi, lamb, chops, barbecue, right? So I think the weight of this, we lose it. We kind of just play it down. See, John the Baptist is revealing something significant here in this moment. He's making a statement, both to the audience then, the Apostle John is doing the same thing for the audience then and even for us today. This Jesus is no like none like any other king or any other god. He is the pre-existing one who has always existed. And he enters human existence as a sacrificial lamb. Imagery here, as we've alluded to it, is Old Testament imagery. You can read your Old Testament stuff and you see constantly this language of sacrifices and animals and blood and all these things. And there's this topic of unblemished lamb. It conjures up images of Passover meals, of God's rescue of the people of Israel, of God providing and these kind of rules and regulation. So the idea that John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is to remind them, even the people of that time and those who are listening to the Gospel of John and to us, there is a need for a sacrifice. There is a need for a sacrifice. And this sacrifice is provided by God Himself through His Son. As one author put it, there's a quote up here. Thousands of lamb had been slain in the history of Israel. But now, the last lamb to die had finally come to put an end to the sacrificial system. Thousands of people were crucified in the first century, but only Jesus was crucified for the sins of others. Friends, for us to understand, for us to see that we can have life in Him, first we must come to realize One's life had to be sacrificed for us to have true life in him. The lamb is Jesus Christ, the son of God. This is God's gracious provision. This is the one who took our sin, the one who was sacrificed, and his sacrifice is sufficient 
See, when you and I behold this lamb, when we trust our lives to him, to this lamb, he then fills us or baptizes us with the Holy Spirit as we live for him in this world. So Christian friend, this week I've got a question for you. Who defines you? What defines you? Whose authority are you resting in? Maybe this language of behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Has there been, in a sense, many other messages coming to you? And maybe it's a long time that you've actually sat and meditated on this. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, if that message is just becoming something that, yeah, I know, stop. Ask the Spirit of God to cause your heart to behold the Lamb again. The Lamb who is willing to be humble, who gave himself for you and for me. To rejoice in the gift that he's given you. Not just salvation, he has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. For those of us who are seeking this Jesus, maybe considering if he's true or not, I want you to know, and the world that you and I live in are constantly telling you and me, life is about you and me. It's not. It's not about you and me. It's about the one who is the true God, the one and only true God, the one who has and continues to reveal himself, and maybe he's already been doing that to you. This is the Savior who was willing to come into this world to sacrifice himself for your rebellion, my rebellion, for your rejection of him and my rejection of him. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I haven't done anything wrong. What's the big deal? You know what? Probably in worldly standards, you probably haven't. But if you stand next to a holy God, we are all guilty. And because of God's grace, he sends a rescuer. Not just any rescuer, his very own son. The one, as we discovered who said the word, the one who's described as the word, the word who began life becomes a sacrificial lamb to rescue you, to die for you, to take your place, my place. So we would invite you to behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you're not there yet, we would invite you to ask questions, maybe to the friend who bought you, discover this. The good news is this, right? The story doesn't end in the Gospel of John. The story continues. This lamb who gave himself as the sacrifice lamb, the one who is seen in this imagery as a helpless lamb going to the cross to die for you and me, the one whose sacrifice was sufficient, is now the victorious lamb. The same author in the Gospel of John would write again. The Apostle John for his faith, was exiled to an island called Patmos. And in that moment, he's encountering Jesus, and Jesus is giving these amazing visions of knowing and showing to him, hey, John, all these things that are going around you, I want you to know I'm still in charge. I'm not on that cross. I'm risen. I want us to read this together. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Revelation chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, I've got it up here on the screen. We'll see how we go. If you don't have a Bible, can I encourage you just to listen to these true words of the Apostle John. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated 
on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep. Because of no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out of all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you are ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to your God and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard around the throne and living creatures and the elders and voices of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might, honor and glory and blessing." I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Friends, what a wonderful, glorious picture. Christian friend, I hope that captures your heart. This is who we worship. This is who we serve. We have a Jesus who is the victorious lamb. The Apostle John wrote this to remind us. Yes, he was slain. It was written in Revelation to remind us again, guess what, he's coming back again. And for you and I to understand, to understand what it means to follow Jesus, life is not about you and me. It's actually making much about him. It's growing to be in humility to say, Jesus, it's, it is about you. It is not about me. Making much of the Son of God. And dear friend, if you do not know this Jesus, I'm telling you, and I hope you hear this lovingly, he is coming back. And when he returns, people are not going to be going, oh, I wonder which one's Jesus. Who's the Messiah? Is he, is he the one? It's going to be loud and clear who he is. Because when he comes, there is no second chance. There is no second chance. Maybe that is today for you. We would invite you to discover who this Jesus is. Talk to a friend who brought you here. Come to talk to any of us pastors. And we would invite you to know this Lamb of God who died for you, who took away your sin if you put your faith in him. Canterbury Gardens, this is why we exist. Did you know that Canterbury doesn't exist to make much of Canterbury Gardens? That's not why we exist. We are here to exist for this one reason, to constantly, till the day that he returns, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So friends, as you head into this week, maybe ask yourself this question. Has something or someone taken place of making much of Jesus? Is it making more much about yourself or is it making much about Jesus? What are you finding your identity in? Is it your titles and roles and dreams and hopes, which are not necessarily all bad things? What if all those things were stripped away? What if all of that was stripped away? Who are you? Who are you? According to the world's standards, imagine if you were never known. If no one knew in the world. You know what? It doesn't matter. If you know Jesus, he knows you. And that's what matters. And that's why we can live in this world for him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as you and I as a church community behold him daily, not only that, we will know him more and then we will experience growing in knowing that we do have life. As John wrote, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we want to bow before you this morning and we want to behold you. Lord, there are many of us here who follow you and love you, but for various reasons, there are many things crying out to us to say, behold me, behold this thing, behold whatever it is. Cause our hearts to behold you, the lamb who came into this world to die for our sins, the lamb who's risen, the lamb who will return. And until then, help us to be your witnesses in this world for your glory and your name. Amen.